hey, girl, do you want some trivia about this? Oh, my God, yes. Like, for context of what we're about to discuss? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know it's called Without Charity? Uh-huh. So one of Charity's friends, a couple of her friends, but one of them who's interviewed in this movie, uh-huh. their husband directed this thing. <gasps> super biased, <laughs> super one-sided, and a little racist. Welcome to True Crime Obsessed, everybody. <laughs> You guys, before we get to the show, just a reminder, if you want more Jillian and me, get the Patreon. You know, we finished the Don't Fuck With Cats a couple weeks back. We're into the Aaron Hernandez documentary, Mm. which is bonkers. Lots of thoughts and feelings. I know. Thrilled to be done with cats. Lots of (laughs) thoughts and feelings in Aaron. There's a lot going on. And then in addition to that, it's the Menendez murders. It's the Lacey Peterson. Jody Arias, Lorena, The Jinx. The Staircase, Serial Season 1, Making a Murderer. 20 episodes of Making a Murderer. Can you stand it? You guys, it's over 100 full bonus episodes to download and binge for five bucks a month. You get it right the second you sign up. And we're not cheaping out. It's full-length episodes. Full-length episodes, no ads. You can't beat it. And (laughs) ad-free episodes of what's on the regular feed, too. And that's exactly right. Yeah. There's some ringtones. Yeah. After parties. The whole thing's a party, to be quite honest. I'll see you over there. See you over there. I'll see you over there. <laughs> Drinks on me. Girl, what are we talking about you today? You know what? We're talking about a documentary called Without Charity. Mm-hmm. I gotta say, you hated it. I kind of liked it. Yeah, I take issue with a great many things. I- <laughs> I will say it was a. It's a very interesting story. It's very tragic. It's super tragic. You know what? All I could think of the whole time. What? Do you wanna have fun? Fun. 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 Oh man. I know. That's what sweet charity, you guys. In case you're wondering. Right. 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 <laughs> Three construction workers were found murdered. Killed execution style. It doesn't happen here. It shouldn't happen here. I want to know why this happened. I want to know who did this. A simple burglary authorities believe started with this woman. 18-year-old Charity Payne led the group of suspects to the Lakeville home. The charity that I saw on the news was not the charity that I knew. She planned it. Not that this would have happened without her. Everybody had their minds made up that she was the ringleader. Mastermind. The attorneys argue Charity Payne was either a pawn or a kingpin. The prosecutor hopes to add three counts of felony murder. People like this just shouldn't be allowed to be on the streets. We have small children. They're never going to know that my dad. They're never going to know their grandpa. (laughs) She was the first one to go to trial, and I knew at that point it was going to be all about someone needs to be punished. they have it figured out for me when people ask questions none of them ever ask the right ones do you want to get us started i guess okay. uh we're in rural indiana the rural juror there were actual rural jurors <laughs> that's true because this takes place in rural indiana <laughs> And so we meet this woman and she tells us that like she's questioning the notion that this girl Charity quote made a stupid mistake and spent seven years in prison. Because this is like the cold open right before we get like without Charity. I literally almost said sweet Charity. But (laughs) the thing was she gives us an example of what actually is a stupid mistake. Mm -hmm. Well you know a stupid mistake 
It's when your mom and dad aren't home and they left the car and you back it back and forth up the driveway and hit the garage door. When your parents go out for the night and leave the keys in the car and you back the car up and down the driveway and end up banging into the garage Welcome door. to rural Indiana. <laughs> I was like, like what? what are you talking <laughs> Is about? Is that a thing that people do? Well, I, I actually, it's funny you say that. I had notes too and I have it all like asterisk and I say, Doc Makers, uh-huh. please make your lower thirds visible for people who use subtitles and or closed captions. Oh my God, Put yes. them higher. I <laughs> put them higher than the closed captions and the subtitles and put them higher than like the little line that says how long you've been watching the movie. Uh-huh. Because when we pause and take our notes, I can't see anything. <laughs> and I can't see anything through the subtitles either. Yeah. Um. All right. So we meet Mike. We're going to call him Mike G. Can we just call him Detective Mike? Detective Mike. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, so it's September 14th, the year 2000. St. Joseph County Police, they get a phone call and they learn, tragically, that three construction workers were found dead on a job site. If I had to describe the crime scene in one word, it would be horrific. Um, you've got uh, three hardworking men, construction workers, um, at a job site. They're down on the ground, face down, hands bound behind their backs. And each one of them executed. Everyone in town is like scared, confused, angry. Yeah, we're seeing all these people who are just like, we don't know who did this. Literally like lock up your kids, lock up your wife. Like there's a mad murderer on the loose. Right. And we meet a lot of family members of the victims. And we get a shit ton of on-screen text. Like way too much. I stopped writing it down. It was way too much. Telling us like crucial information. You get a narrator. (laughs) Or have your talking heads Tell us. You guys, I'm available for narration. If you need a screaming queen to narrate your documentary, hire me. Yeah, that would actually be great. (laughs) I want it to be like a really serious documentary that then it's like, and then. Yeah, or if you need someone to be totally over it. Right. You know my number. (laughs) Or mad. You need the rage. Press at truecrimeobsessed.com, you guys. (laughs) We're available. You need the rage of me being like, you guys, you're never going to believe it. Oh my God, they're back. Oh my God, they're back. Don't you offer this because you're going to have 80 offers in the morning and I'll never see you again. Nobody wants that shit. Remember when you were like, you're going to leave me because you're going to go write a book. What book? (laughs) You're going to leave me because you're going to go do stand up. What stand up? There's nothing out there for me but this. This is it. When I'm you, doing it. Someone's going to steal her from me. Look, you. I. that's a because very nice thing to say, but I am not in any demand. I promise <laughs> you. There are no book deals. No one thinks I'm funny other than you. I am just mad. I'm just an angry woman doing my goddamn best. So we learn via on-screen text that police investigations lead to multiple arrests. Right. Here are some names for you. Philip Stroud, who's 21 years old. Ronald Carter, Carell Seabrooks, and Tyrone Wade. And then Charity Payne, and who's Charity Payne, 18. Who's 18. Yeah. All of the men are black. Charity is white. The four individuals involved in this case, the four suspects, uh, had, had made a plan to burglarize this home. They had received information from Charity Payne that the people who lived at this home were extremely wealthy and were told that there would be a lot of money in the house. They had learned information about the home through Charity, who had used to date the son of the family there. Right, so it's the Sears home, and John Sears is her ex-boyfriend. And according to the cops, Charity was like, hey guys, these people are super rich, it'll be a big score, go forth and burgle. But... <laughs> Take one look at that house and you know. I mean, my God, this thing is a fucking mansion. It's like a farmhouse barn mansion, like gorgeous. Yeah, they've got the the main house and then the farmhouse. They've got a pool. They have their own pond. They have their own pond. Pond. Leave the ducks and (laughs) pond life out of this. The waterfowl had nothing to do with this. Leave the pond life alone. The four individuals got up that day uh, on the 14th of September in 2000. They left Walnut Street in South Bend um, en route out to the house on Oak Road to the Sears property. Um, Along the way, they stopped at a gas station at uh, Prairie and Olive Streets. 
they went inside, they bought some gloves and some other items, and then they drove to the to the home. Um, the gate evidently was open. Um, they were told by Charity that if the gate was closed, that indicated that somebody was home. Charity says this thing that makes zero sense. <laughs> but she tells them, if the gate is wide open, go on in. <laughs> and if it's closed, someone's home. Right. And I'm like, so that, like, everyone knows that if the gate's open, no one's home? Right. <laughs> everyone in the town just knows. Just know? Like, it's such a, or like, I mean, Charity does, but like that, like, why leave the gate open if you're leaving? I, I, like, close the gate behind you. <laughs> Would you grow up in a barn? Oh, wait. <laughs> so, apparently, the construction workers who were working at the house accidentally left the gate open. Remember, right. gate open, nobody home. Yeah. But they left the gate open, and these three construction workers were there. The construction workers are named Corby Myers, Lynn Ganger, and Wayne Shoemaker. Right. So once they see the construction workers, apparently in that moment, they just make the decision they got to murder these guys. Philip Stroud makes the call. Philip Stroud made the decision that they were going to have to kill these people because they had seen them. They had seen their vehicle, possibly even seen the plate on the car. Zero to a hundred. How do you not pretend to be delivering a pizza? How do you not pretend to be like, oh, oops, like wrong. But I forgot the pizza. Right. All four of us <laughs> forgot the pizza. I got to go by. But I'm just saying there's a whole lot of options between like run like hell run, yeah. and tie these people up and murder them. Or just say, oh, I'm looking for, is Frank here? No. Yeah. He's not. Right. Fellas, we got to go. Like it could be awkward, but everyone could <laughs> <Right>. live. <laughs> But so we learn via on-screen text. It's that, insane. I know you hate this documentary so much. <laughs> I, I, ju- I mean, it's just the beginning. So according to one of the four guys, Ronald Carter, the workmen, uh, the workmen begged for their lives after they were restrained. So Philip Stroud, the one who ends up doing the the killing, while his compatriots are tying the guys up, he just starts shooting them. Right. And so it's like we get like this is a quote from the deposition of Robert Washington Jr. And I'm like, who is that? I know. I know. know. And it's fine if there is a deposition that wasn't recorded. Yeah. We have seen that many times. I think in Who Killed Garrett Phillips, there was a deposition that wasn't recorded. But guess what? Our friend, the lawyer, Manny, read it. Right. Uh, I know, guys, I know we're dealing with, with a murder. I know a triple yeah, murder, and that's yeah, horrible, uh-huh. but I'm just saying. I know. The thing is, you guys, this is literally episode 118. Jillian and I could make an Oscar-winning documentary today. I mean, at this point. We absolutely could. Every, we'd have everyone slayed beforehand. A perfect amount of on-screen text big enough to yes. see. Every time you see, any every time someone comes on the screen, even if we've met them 10 times, you're going to get a lower third yep. for context. Oh my I God. need to know, are you a, a defense lawyer or prosecution? Are you an aunt or are you the niece? I don't know. I need to know who you are so I can form an opinion. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And every time, the 10th time they're on screen, I want the name. Every single time. Every time. Uh-huh. Just, uh-huh. just in case. What I, is it? Look, I used to video edit. It's not that hard. And, it's actually quite simple. They have a lot of just templates. It's all done for you. It's very easy. Okay. So we learn, more on screen text, we learn that after shooting the victims and taking their wallets, they burglarized the Sears home and then they left the property. Yeah. So now, you know, the news breaks. On Thursday, three construction workers were found murdered. And tonight, we may know why. 18-year-old Charity Payne led the group of suspects to the Lakeville home. So we meet Monica Payne, and she's Charity's mother. Oh, God. And it's just red flags galore from the (laughs) get-go. Because she's like... We were so close. I mean, we were like... 
best friends. You guys, I know I have in my notes. Best no! friends, you're not. And she goes, you know, we were so close, we were best friends. Maybe I should have paid more attention when she quit talking to me. <laughs> what? <laughs> Best friends. I know. Followed by maybe I should have paid more attention when she quit talking to me. Yeah, I'll say. Sure. If the option is to pay more attention or less, I'm going to go with more. Oh, please. You of all people. (laughs) Daisy girl. Call me when you're ready. Don't worry. So then we meet Marcy, Marcy's husband. This is his film. Oh. Marcy. So we're basically now we're meeting Charity's like childhood friends. And Marcy tells us. Charity is the first friend I ever remember having. We went through elementary school, middle school, and high school all together. Later on, you know, with the things that happened, you kind of, you could see the pattern forming. You know, later on, looking back, you could really see the pattern forming. Yeah, Marcy's not alone. I know. I know. Now we meet problematic Emily. Okay, I'm glad you said that because Emily is very well-spoken. She seems very smart and sweet and sincere. But I've got a lot of questions for Emily. I... Let's break it down. Okay. <laughs> I think I need to stop. It's like, you know, when you're ramping up in a fight and you're uh-huh. like, you got, I just yeah. need to, I love you. I'm just going to take a deep breath. Can we just five minutes? I feel like this is going to become an avalanche. I need to put this fire out. Emily, girl, we got to talk. We have to have a conversation. So Emily says she hung out with charity every single day that summer. And every single day that summer, she felt unsafe. Emily, let's start there. I- what? <laughs> That summer, we were hanging out together every day, and almost once a day, I was in, found myself in a position where I did not feel safe. Every single day. So by July of every day feeling unsafe, mm-hmm. Emily, who seems pretty together, uh-huh. is going to say, let's go to August. Let's keep this going. What? Then she's like... Because she just doesn't understand that people you've known for 20 years, you should trust a lot more than people you've known for five minutes. Which is fine. Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Emily. That's good sure, advice. Sure. Then, uh, problematic <laughs> Emily says the following. Like, she's just like, she's really outgoing, and that's great. I mean, she's just got that kind of personality. She's really outgoing, and she really likes to talk to people, which is great, but she doesn't understand that there are certain indicators that maybe they're not the kind of people you want to be talking to. She quadruples down. Problematic Emily says. She never really knew that you should be afraid of certain people or maybe you shouldn't let people in quite as much as she always just did. And I'm like, Emily, do you mean black people? People of color, specifically black people. Yes, yes. Say it, Emily. I know. Horrible. And the reason I really don't like this documentary is because it feels like, is this like the thesis of the documentary? Do they agree with her? See, my thinking on it was I had all the same thoughts. The problem with that for me with the documentary is that the documentary thinks it's documenting the truth. The documentary doesn't have enough awareness to realize how fucking problematic and racist that is. Like they're behind, he's behind the camera being like, uh-huh. Exactly. Absolutely. And exactly. not behind the camera being like, can we get someone for maybe show the other side of this? Because this is about charity, right? Right. So they're trying to paint, like charity didn't know any better. Please. They're trying to make us feel sympathy for charity. Right. Spoiler, I do not. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's coming through loud and clear. Is it? Great. No spoiler needed. Great? Okay, cool. Just want to really, oh, really always want to make sure. Sometimes uh-huh. I'm a little... Subtle? <laughs> subtle. <laughs> so we meet Charity Payne today. She is here 
talking to us, to the camera, to her friend's husband, who's yes. making this film about her. In this initial interview where we see her, she does not look like she's in good health. No. She's got bags under her eyes. She's gaunt. Her hair is falling out. At first, you're kind of like, oh, God, like what happened to yes. her? Yeah. So here's the thing. We're going to get Charity's story from Emily and Charity. So Problematic Emily is telling us the day before the murders, Charity was borrowing her car. That day, she was borrowing my car to go to her work orientation. But I didn't hear for, from her for a really long time after she dropped me off at work. So what happened, apparently, is that Charity drops Emily off at her job and then takes Emily's car to this job orientation, whatever the hell that means. Yeah, according, now we're with Charity. Right. So then Charity gets lost and ends up in a neighborhood she doesn't know. Didn't recognize any of the streets or people and made a wrong turn at a stop sign. And at the stop sign, Philip then was in the middle of the road and saying, hey, you know, come over here, hey. So she makes this wrong turn, and suddenly, like, in the middle of the street is Philip Stroud, who we learn the next day commits these murders. Exactly. So this is the day before the murders. And so according to Charity, he's standing in the middle of the road, and they just start chatting. He's like, hey, do you want to, like, pull over and chat? And she's (laughs) like, I do have that work. You know what? Yeah. Right, because I'm like, wait a second. Are you, like, on your way to a job interview or an orientation or something? Well, he had started talking to me through the driver's side of my window. We had talked about friends we had in common, names, you know, that popped up. I was like, hey, I know that guy. So a lot of common grounds. So Charity's like, so I'm pulled I'm pulled over. I should be at work, but whatever. Right. And I'm talking to this guy I don't know because I made a wrong turn in this small town where everybody knows everybody and everybody knows every square inch of the place. And this crazy person standing in the middle of the street. So I said, get in. Let's chat. Let's hang out. And this isn't like a hey girl, hey girl. They're having a conversation because Charity's telling us that like they had a lot in common. Right. So Charity was dating this guy, John Sears. I know that John, the boy I was dating, knew a guy named Pumpkin who is actually Philip's cousin. So then, she, apparently, according to Charity, Philip Stroud is like, oh, hey, can you give me and my friend Tyrone a ride real quick? Can you just drive us to the Sears house? Th- this is very confusing. She's dating this guy, John Sears, who lives in this big, fancy house, and I guess she mentioned it to them, and now they want to go see it. And then she's like, well, at one point, he made it clear he had a weapon, and I'm <laughs> like, so when did you welcome him into your friend's car? Don't you have a job interview or orientation or whatever? You're lost. You're chatting it up in the street. This guy's a weapon. It's your friend's car. Where am I? <laughs> Where am I? Uh Can you just drive us to the Sears house real quick? They never used the word burglary or robbery, that they were going to go actually commit a crime. At that point, I was like, you know, well, you know, I don't really have much choice but to do what he's asked me to because he's in my car with a weapon. And he had already told me, I do remember, that he, you know, we don't have to stop. That was a very, very clear memory I have. He said, you know, we're not going to stop or we don't have to stop or anything. We were just going to drive by it. They just wanted to see it. It's like, you don't, guess what? You don't even have to stop. I just want, we just want eyes on the house. We yeah. want to see if it's like as big as fancy as you say. Right. So she does this. Yeah. And then suddenly, like out of nowhere, we learn that Charity and the suspects that we, that we mentioned earlier who were arrested, they all go to this house on Walnut Street. Yes. And through on-screen text, we learn that Charity and Phil were in the bathroom for quite some time. Right. <laughs> she just met this guy in the middle of the street an hour ago. And even in the deposition, he was like, they were in the bathroom for a little while whatever they were doing oh right <laughs> 
okay. <laughs> then when by the time they leave, they're talking about what they call a lick. And I'm like, what the hell is a lick? It takes a really long time for us, for someone to tell us that a lick is a robbery. Yeah, because I they were in the bathroom for a long time. I didn't know what was happening. I had to scroll through my notes and, go, and put it at, at this section. Totally. You guys, a lick is a robbery. I didn't know that. <laughs> Learning something new every day. Uh-huh. So now we're back to Emily, problematic Emily. Yep. And she's like, so Charity was super late dropping the keys off. And I'm like, I hope you also mean bringing the car back. <laughs> but I don't know how they do things in rural towns. So Charity hands problematic Emily the keys. And she's like, girl, we need to talk. I really, really, really need to talk to you. Something was wrong. I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know it was as bad as it was. But I know that when she handed me those keys, she was not anything except for scared. Emily's like, I could tell something was wrong. How could you tell? I know. With the, with the girl, I need to talk to you. With the, <laughs> I need to talk to you eyes. Every girl knows the I need to talk to you eyes. If you have a certain type of relationship, you don't even need the words. You just right. make the eyes. We can make the eyes at each other. One million percent. Girl, no. <laughs> I need to talk to you now. I need to talk to you right now. Get the cocktails. I need to talk to you right now. Meet me in the bathroom, please. Oh my God, the tea is scalding. Uh- <laughs> So the last thing we see of Charity, she's got to talk to Emily. And then the next day, the murders happen. Right. And then it's like all over the news, the Sears property. And I'm like, right, her ex-boyfriend's home. So Charity sees the news. Uh-huh. And breaks down and just starts screaming from every rooftop. I'm responsible for the murders. I'm responsible for the uh-huh, murders. Uh-huh. I received the phone call uh, the morning after the homicides uh, from our dispatch center saying that a woman had called in. The Charity Payne worked for her. And on the previous evening, Charity Prane had broke down after finding out that the triple homicide had occurred and started crying and said that she thought she was responsible for those deaths. Her mother says, Charity calls me at 2 a.m., wakes me up out of a dead sleep and says, Mom, I need a ride home from work. And I'm like, girl, you got the job? You booked it? You got the gig? You didn't even show up for orientation. You got it. Offer only. Charity is offer only. She booked it. No callbacks, no nothing. She booked it. She skipped the callback, as a matter of fact. She booked it. So now, like, it's 2 a.m. She gets the ride home from her mom. And the next morning, the cops show up, and they want to talk to Charity. And I'm like, did she call the cops on herself? How do they know? They thought that she might know something about what happened out there. And they said, would you mind going with us down to the special crimes place and talking to us? And I still had no idea. Nothing. You know, if I'd have had a clue... I'd have never let her go with them. And the mom says, like, I just didn't know enough to say no. And, you know, they, they take her downtown and basically they say, you know, you're just here to identify people. We've seen this a hundred times. This is right out of Who Killed Garrett Phillips. Right. So they keep her there. The cops say seven hours. So this becomes very important, you guys. Remember that. Yeah. The cops say she was there for seven hours. And they're like, most of that time she was just waiting around. I was like, what, is she on a movie set? No. Right. <laughs> and Charity says she was there for 12 hours. Right. And she was like in and out of sleep. She was really tired. And so the Cops say through the investigation, we were able to learn that Charity Payne had met four individuals, four male blacks at Scottsdale Mall uh, the previous day. Charity met, I quote, I know four male blacks at the mall the day before the murder. I have this in huge letters. Like just him saying it like that is so telling. Mm-hmm. You would never say four whites. It's so specific and so just a part of the way they fucking talk. Absolutely. And you know, we've also seen this too. There are some like how cops describe the unsub. There are some things yes. where it's like just the facts, ma'am. Uh-huh. Totally. But that's not what this is. No. No. 
You know? Yeah. It's really not. So Detective Mark is telling us two days before the murder, Charity and Emily are at the mall. Right. And they meet a couple guys. Two of them, Carell Seabrooks and Curtis Smith Jr., were at the scene of the murder. Event, event like three days later or That whatever. Philip Stroud commits with yeah. the construction workers. Yeah. But we learn from Emily, problematic Emily, that uh-huh. at the mall, Charity gives these strangers that they just met, not just Charity's number, but Emily's phone number. I would always find myself going... Why did you do that? Why did you give those people at my phone number? Why did you let those guys in the back of my car? I mean, she just was always doing things that any rational person would know was not a safe thing to do. This is one of those moments when Emily felt unsafe. Remember how Emily every single day felt unsafe that summer? In one moment, that was the moment that day. Maybe August will be different, she says. (laughs) Emily, why every day did you hang out with her then? Okay, so we're back in time to the day before the murder when Charity borrowed uh, Problematic Emily's car saying that she had that job orientation to go to. Right. So the cop says Charity had no intention of going to the job orientation. And I'm like, yeah, I know. She just wanted to smoke weed. So Charity says she got lost and ended up in this like bad neighborhood mm-hmm. when in reality, or at least one of the realities, we're being told, no, she was went to this, quote, bad neighborhood looking to buy pot. Right. Which is also makes sense why when this guy is standing in the middle of the road, she's like, well, he lives here. Maybe he'll know something. Exactly. All indications are is that Charity had every intent of finding some marijuana and contacting these individuals to do it. And so, like, then she's like, that's not the case. But I never said I was completely innocent, Charity. I know. (laughs) She goes back. She teeters back and forth a lot. Yeah. So here's what we learn that she told these men about the Sears house. Right. And this is from, like, the news or newspaper or something, right? Yeah. Four things. Yeah. From court documents of a videotaped interview, 18-year-old Charity Payne told investigators that she told the other suspects about the family's financial status. One, the Sears... They're rich. <laughs> it's going to be a great big score. I grew up in a town with rich Searses as well. Really? Mm-hmm. Like Sears and Roebuck? No, but they were like... <laughs> no. No, but they were like Mayflower family. No way. Yeah, because I grew up on Cape Cod, so we had a lot of those. Oh, we know. <laughs> the Cape. I grew up on the Cape. I grew up in the poor town. No. <laughs> Mayflower, that's legit. It's true. Speaking of racists. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanksgiving was a genocide. Anyway, two. She told the other suspects how to bypass the home security system. How to bypass the alarm. Okay. Uh Getting a little more responsible every step of the way. Number three, when the maid service was scheduled. How do you know all this about your ex-boyfriend's family? (laughs) And four, their private unpublished number, which is like, why do you need that for a robbery? (laughs) What, are you going to call them? You already know if the gate's open, come on in. to call them. Also, she's setting up her boyfriend's family, her ex-boyfriend's family. It's crazy. Like, I, can, I don't know why she's doing this. I know. It makes me never want to meet another person ever. Same. <laughs> I didn't need much, but... And the thing is, Charity said, like, Charity's like, yeah, I told them about the house. I told them it was going to be a big score. So she admits that she, like, set up her ex-boyfriend's family. Yeah, it's weird because we learn on the news that in court documents, she told that to the police. So, like, she's admitting it. Yeah. But then we get Charity to camera being like, you guys, I didn't do that. I didn't sit in the car with Philip that day and plan a robbery. That's not what we said, Charity. We said that you did four things. None of those things include planning a robbery. That's right. Come on now. Come on. You would be a really good prosecutor. I'd be great. I'd be really good. So now we meet Chris Toth, not Chris Noth. I have the same thought. <laughs> Mr. Big is here. No, he's not. No, he's not. Um, so he's the prosecuting attorney. And we learn that two years go by between Charity's arrest and the trial. About two years had lapsed between um, when the crime happened and when she went to trial. And 
tell that things weren't going so well as far as the way that they were portraying her in the media. It was a huge case. It was publicized nonstop. Every chance they had to, to bring it all up, they did in the media. So at that point, I felt like everybody, if you talk to any random person on the street, they would know about the case based on you know the things that they'd watched on the news. So I didn't think that there wasn't a single person in this area who didn't already have a, a you know, predetermined opinion of her before the trial. So I felt like there was no way she was ever going to get a fair trial in this area. This is their OJ and their like Lacey Peterson case in the sense that it was just everywhere. Yeah. So it's two years of the local Nancy Grace yes. screaming <laughs> about this case. Can you imagine the rural Indiana Nancy Grace? No. Can you stand it? <laughs> but yeah, all of Charity's friends are telling us the media portrayed her as a villain. She was never going to get a fair trial. So right now, Charity is charged with felony burglary, but the prosecutor wants to charge her with three counts of felony murder. But this lawyer is like, like, this was not a popular decision among my <laughs> colleagues. The fact that I had charged her with felony murder was not necessarily a popular decision among some of my colleagues, just simply because some of them felt, well, she wasn't present, she wasn't there. Um, and, and in essence, how would she have known that that was going to happen? And all she knew maybe was that this burglary was going to happen. And the way our law is, is um, if you're in a, with a group of people um, and you're helping this group of people commit a crime, Everyone's responsible for every, everyone else's actions. Uh, in this particular situation, if you go out to break into a home and someone dies as a result of it, um, that's felony murder. If none of these people knew this family before they met you, and then you tell them how to sneak into the house, how to bypass the alarm, mm -hmm. when the maid's going to be there, and what the phone number is. Also, if the gate's open, come on in. I'm not calling her Charles Manson, right. but this is why Charles Manson died in prison. Right, because... He it, wasn't there. No, and this is the why the law is set up this way. If you are the one that gives all the information, then you are as culpable as whoever does the worst thing when it happens. Right. And I think that's the way the law should be. And then we meet John Sears, the ex-boyfriend. Right, we see him on the stand at Charity's trial where he's like testifying against her right so these this triple murder happened at the sears house right john sears is charity's ex-boyfriend so yeah. she was setting up her ex-boyfriend's house to be robbed right so her so john sears is testifying on the witness stand today that ex-boyfriend also talked about a letter Payne once wrote to him the letter pointed out how easy it would be to rob the restaurant Payne was working at at the time she wrote him a letter, and I'm like, I hope you mean email. <laughs> because the language of it is very, like, email. It's very, yeah. you don't write, because she curses a lot in it. I, I have like, in my notes, oh my God, she swears a lot in this letter. And I feel like you don't, if you're writing a letter like that, you don't curse as much. Right, Am yeah. I naive No, I totally agree with you. So this email, hopefully, <laughs> says, she's like, John, the restaurant I work at, it's super easy to rob. Let me explain how. <laughs> You guys, these are her words. She curses a lot. Mom, I'm sorry. I, she says, and I quote, so they fucking leave the side door open for the employees to go in and out of. And on any night, you could just fucking mask up and fucking go in with a gun. Charity. Sweet charity. The fact that she says mask up. And mask fucking go up. in with a gun. So I'm just like, charity girl. I know. And so the point is, the prosecutor is saying. I felt that the fact that we found this other letter where she was attempting to to uh, have someone else commit a serious crime um, uh, kind of negated that argument that this was just a mistake because she did it before. 
the idea that she would never do something like this, right. the idea that she didn't have it in her brain to think about something like this, it's out the window, out the window, because she's tried to get people to do things like this before. Yeah, and we learn that these trials go on for seven years, right? Because there are five people on trial, and all the the retrials and the right. you know appeals. And the appeals and all of that. Then we just get Charity crying about how hard this was for her. I know, I know. To know yourself. Know yourself better than anyone else. Nobody's listening. It's horrible. To stare at people and watch them judge you. And they just don't. There's no awareness for her role in it. There's no awareness for the victims or their families or anything. And is she sorry? She doesn't mention their, she doesn't say their names. Yeah. She's just like, you guys, it was really, I told them how to bypass the alarm system, but right. like, stop. <laughs> I'm like, charity girl. I know. So anyway, she's found guilty. <laughs> the jury decided she was just as responsible for the triple homicide as anyone who carried it out. Charity Payne left the courtroom in tears, facing hard time, learning a lesson the hard way. This is crazy. We get more on-screen text. We get the sentences. Tyrone Wade gets 275 years. Carell Seabrooks gets 180 years. Ronald Carter, who we find out later, like, turned states with evidence, gets 45 years. Philip Stroud, who was the one who did the actual shooting and mm-hmm. killing, gets the death penalty. And Charity Payne gets 165 years. Which is crazy. I don't like charity. Yeah. I think 165 years is a lot. Yes. Of time. Those are two facts. Yes. So now the biggest shock of this entire thing. Oh my God. And the moment where I sat up in my chair and kind of couldn't believe it. I have oh shit in my notes. I know. We're on death row and we're talking to Philip Stroud, the guy who pulled the trigger. And we hear from him his side of the story. My first memory of Charity Payne was, um, you know, I'm on the block standing out basically doing what I was doing every day was you know hustling you know in my neighborhood and where I'm from any car that we don't recognize there's really not supposed to be no cars that come through our neighborhood that we don't recognize you know so then when I seen that it was a female then I just stood in the middle of the street and stopped the car you know that was really it that's how I first met her and this also matches up with Charity, like this guy standing in the middle of the street yep. as she's driving down it. And if you remember, Charity is like by her own admission on the prowl for weed. So like when this guy stops her car, she's like, let me talk to this guy and see if he knows where I can get some. And Philip is like, I think we went looking for some weed or something. Stopped by one of my spots and got some, got some weed. And um, I think we smoked. Matter of fact, I know we smoked a blunt. And then he also says, like, there isn't a whole lot I can say about Charity Payne because I knew her for, like, one second of my life. Yeah, and then, on top of this... You guys, this was, like... I'm like, way to bury the lead. I know. Philip confesses. The reality is, is I killed three people. I killed Wayne Shoemaker, Corbin Myers, and Lane Ganger. You know, and I want to make that clear. And he's like, yep, I killed those three people. The other three men... Who were there, they didn't, I pulled the trigger all three times. Then he says, I feel like I'm going to sob. Yeah. He says, Because I know in prison, everybody else in this prison is innocent of the crime that they, they were convicted of. But I'm not, you know, and I'm not proud of that. And it took me a long time to admit that, you know, for a long time. I had to even get over the mental hurdle of referring to 
my victims is my victims. I would always say the victims to like separate it from myself, another way of really not taking ownership. They're my victims. I did this. And I will say that this tape of the, him in this interview is some of the most powerful stuff I've ever seen. Yeah, because he says like as many ways as he can. I did this and I'm fucking I sorry. I accept full responsibility. This is nobody else's fault. I killed three men for nothing. Three innocent men for nothing. And he says their names. Yes. He says all of their names. And he says them multiple times. And this does not excuse what he did. Of course not. But you never see this. In all of the documentaries that we've covered, we've never seen somebody who actually did the crime really fully accepting ownership for it and you right. can see the remorse in his face mm-hmm. he talks about how sorry he is you know that if he could take and if he could take it back he would it doesn't change the fact that he killed these people and it was a monstrous thing that he did right and he ruined lives and he deserves the punishment that he has the, the one thing we need to say is that Phillips uh, death sentence is commuted to a life sentence yes so he's not sentenced to die anymore yep this interview with him was so so powerful and this like bad documentary this part makes it totally worth it to me I hear you I just wish they would have said then why I want it if he's gonna be so open and yeah. honestly like you said the adult in the room yeah he has the most responsibility responsibility and ownership but he's also the most vocal about it yeah i would love for charity's friend's husband to say then why right. if you've come this far and, and all this time to be able to say i accept full responsibility then can you tell me what happened that day yeah what happened when you got to the sears house why did you kill these people why yep. didn't you turn around and and go away you know and that right there i agree with you on the chiron and the lower threat all of that i totally agree with this is where a novice filmmaker shows that he's a novice filmmaker absolutely I want to know more about this guy's story. I think it's important to know. And you, we see old tape of him where he's like coming in and out of the courtroom and he said he was blaming everybody else and he only thought about how it affected him. In the courtroom, he's angry and he's yelling. And, mm. and now in this moment, he's just fully accepted responsibility and you can see that like he's going to do the work for the rest of his life mm-hmm. to... I mean, what's the word? You can never make up for it. Yeah, I'd like to go into that more, but the documentary didn't. Exactly. So that's why we're at a loss for words, because they didn't give us any more information. Exactly. So in conclusion of the Philip Stroud section, um, we wanted a lot more from him and this, but that was not so much to be. Right. And then instead of going in on this guy and his journey and his thought process and what, we just cut to charity again. Yeah. And she's like, you know, my lawyers called me in March of 2007 and they were like, how would you feel about going home today? And we're like, what? Bitch, what? I- <laughs> You know, we we get the prosecutor guy back and he's saying to us, like, we basically had to let her go on a technicality that didn't even exist when we were questioning her. Right. After we did that and tried the case, another case came down from the appellate court that established kind of what they call a per se rule that after so many hours is looked upon that as a coercive kind of interview situation. And we happen to go beyond the certain amount of hours that this case set. And look, the technicality is a good one. Like, it is. And I applaud Indiana because they it seems like their judicial system, at least from what we learn about it here, is really trying to do the right thing. Because they say that like there was a case that made it all the way to the Indiana Supreme Court or whatever where they had interrogated this guy for too many hours and the interrogation became coercive. Mm-hmm. And so when that case was overturned, that stipulation became retroactive to all other cases. So remember in the beginning, when she said that they questioned me for 12 hours and he said they questioned me for seven hours. Mm -hmm. 
however long the cops actually questioned her was beyond this new limit. Of it's how 11 many, hours. Is that what it is? It's 11 hours until, and then it's it's considered coercive. She was interviewed for 12. And that's the thing. Because of that technicality, what really happens is she gets a new trial, technically. Right. And she goes in front of a judge, and the judge just throws the whole thing out. And says, you know, you have time served, and yeah. she walks out of prison after seven years. Right. And so my thing is... What about the three other men of color who are in prison when we have Philip Stroud saying, I did it full responsibility? Like, where's their technicality? Well, and that's the thing. Like, look, I'm with you a million. The, you the know? system is totally rigged against and people And the documentary of color. go into that. Right. Like, you, the documentary should be outraged by this. Right. And right. they're not. Right. And that is infuriating to me. Yes. And the thing is, Charity to us today in, in the interviews for this documentary says, like, I'm not innocent here. Like, yes, I, I brought them to the, the house and yes, I told them about the alarm. But then this, it really comes to a head, her complete refusal to apologize. It's this weird dynamic of like, she's admitting that she's not fully innocent, but she's also not taking any responsibility for anything. It is kind of a jarring moment because the filmmaker says like, why won't you just apologize? And the smirk and the shrug she gives is just, it's, it it's, makes me so mad. Why say it? Because you can't, it won't, it'll never be enough. I'm sorry, cannot do it and until if they ever would let me show them if they would ever get to know me and if there was anything I could do by knowing them then maybe they would know I was sorry but to say I'm sorry wouldn't cut it She's like inviting the victims' families to get to know her. It's bitch. Very, no, I know. I know. No, <laughs> sit down I and know. be quiet. Have a glass of water. Yeah. Go to bed early. I don't care. It's seven o'clock at night. Go to bed and think about your life. And the thing is, Charity's like she really wants us to know. You know, I've always had a job since I've been out, and you know that's really really hard for someone who's been in prison. And I'm sitting there screaming. I cannot believe we're not talking about the men who didn't commit the murder who are still in prison. Yeah. I cannot believe that Charity is crying about how everyone's mean to her right like this is ridiculous so charity's out she's like living her life and then all of a sudden we meet a woman named tammy my name is tammy and i relationship i had with charity is i met her through the dog program when she was at prison in prison and um, from there we began to write and eventually when she left prison um, she moved here with us. Charity met Tammy because Tammy, a hero, runs like a pet program. The dog where- training program in prison. She brings dogs into prisons. And that's where they met. And then when Charity got out, she went and lived with her. And, and her it's daughter, very- Sydney? Uh-huh. It's very unclear what their relationship is. Well, the first, they show a picture, right? Before we even get a lower third, of course, of Tammy. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, is that her girlfriend? I made, I jumped to conclusions no, with this I, photo. Same, same, same. Because they're like, they're kind of kissing or whatever. It seems very much like this, like they're in a relationship. Very but intimate. Never made explicitly clear. But all Tammy says, and Tammy and her daughter, Sydney, are like, yeah, the neighbors hate us. Because <laughs> Charity moved in. <laughs> Shit, they really hate us. <laughs> yeah. And this is where I start to partially feel for Charity. Because, you know, Tammy is saying, like, Charity's doing the best she can. She's out in the world trying to get jobs. It's really hard for her. We start seeing like Yelp reviews of certain places that are basically just reviews saying like, don't go here. Charity Payne works here. Yeah. So the difference is in my notes, I just have Charity is still talking. Like I <laughs> talking about herself exclusively. At uh-huh. this point, it's like, can we stop talking about Charity and how hard it is for her? Because uh-huh. she's doing pretty fine. Uh huh. Can we get those three guys out of prison? Yeah. 
You know, and it's yeah. like she's still talking and crying and refusing to apologize. And that music, the same four piano <laughs> chords over and over and over again. And I'm like, I felt like I was in the Twilight Zone. I was expecting Rod Serling to show up and be like, submitted for your approval. Like, what is happening? She's still talking. Uh-huh. All right. Just to put you out of your misery, let's get to the end of this. Like, okay. how, how does this end? It ends with Charity being out and crying and talking about herself and not having any remorse and not apologizing. <laughs> and three men of color in prison. And me just really needing a glass of something. <laughs> Whatever you got, I'll take it. That's how I, that's how I feel. Those are my thoughts and feelings. Subtle, I know. Uh, girl, we did it. This was a really weird one. I feel like we stumbled our way through it. Yeah, and we like stumbled across it. It was recommended a lot or suggested a lot. Yeah. So I'm just glad it's over with. Fam, just a quick reminder, please go right now and listen to the preview for our new podcast, Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight, hosted by me and the director of Abducted in Plain Sight, Sky Borgman. We are taking you behind the scenes of the film in the most amazing way with new interviews, deleted scenes, audio journals of the kidnapper himself, Robert Birch, told that he recorded of himself in the 1970s that were recovered by the FBI. We're sharing a plot line that was left out of the film that I promise is going to blow your mind. You're even going to hear new stuff in the trailer itself. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. I will consider it a personal favor if you'll go and find Obsessed with Abducted in Plain Sight right now and subscribe. Girl, the Patreon. The Pates. Lady Pates. We are How's into, she doing? She's great. great. We're into the Aaron Hernandez documentary now. Is she gangbusters? She's so gangbusters. <laughs> I love said her. That in so long. I know. Looking gorgeous, usual. We just wrapped up uh, Don't F with Cats. Mm-hmm. That was really rough. It was. Before that, it was Menendez. Before that, it was Lacey Peterson. Yeah, Jody Arias, Casey Anthony, The Jinx, Making a Murderer, The Staircase. Serial Season 1. OJ. Madeline McCann. Yeah. Every series you guys have ever wanted us to cover, it's there. And ad free versions of these episodes. I feel like we said that all the time and then we stopped saying that. It's I true. feel like that's a, that's a thing that people want. Girl, what are we doing? next? Gird your loins. <laughs> Mary Kay Letourneau autobiography. Oh, that's the A&E documentary. It sure is. She was the teacher that had an affair with an underage student. Her sixth grade student. They sixth grade? Sixth grade. What? Oh, I have things to say. Everyone sixth buckle up. Sixth grade? Yeah, but he was left back. He should have been an eighth, says Mary Kay Letourneau. <laughs> bitch, no. No, bitch. Get the Galapagos turtles. Tortoises, rally them up, Circle you guys. Circle the tortoises. Circle them. Circle the tortoises. The tortoises and I are coming. Very slowly, but we're coming for Mary Kay Letourneau. Uh, girl, where can they find us? They can find us at truecrimeobsessed.com for all your TCO needs. Yeah, we're at truecrimeobsessed on the Twitter, uh, at truecrimeobsessed underscore on the Instagram. You guys, I'm keeping it to say this. Every time you include us in your Insta stories, I see it and I react to it. I am obsessed with it. Adorable. Do stories about listening to our episodes. I love your stories about us. It's my favorite thing. I, get, I gotta get in on that. Yeah, it's so, so fun. Tag us, tag Jillian and I separately. I'm obsessed with it. We love you, you guys. We love you. Thanks for hanging out. You guys, stay tuned for the trailer for the Mary Kay Letourneau doc and our uh, hilarious outtakes. Tam, 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 tam. That means trademark, everybody. That's right. We love you. We love you. Thank you so much. All right, bye. Bye. 1997, Mary Kay Letourneau, a gifted 35-year-old Seattle teacher, married mother of four, pled guilty to two counts of child rape. You understand that you have been charged with the crimes of rape of a child in the second degree, two counts. Do you understand that? Yes. 
August 8th, 1997, I took a guilty plea. Letourneau faces jail time, loses her right to teach in Washington and probably anywhere else. She won't be allowed to see the boy for anywhere from 10 years to the rest of her life. I took a guilty plea because my attorney told me I should. I could take it to trial, but the goal was end the drama quickly for everyone. Who cares if I have a conviction? Just end it. The least amount of harm was the choice because it's not about me. It's about Just saying, some choices are not about sometimes it's not. Just saying, there's other people. That broke my heart when I heard her say yeah. that. I mean, I'm sure the horrible music took you right out of it, though. <laughs> It's mm-hmm. truly horrible. <laughs> the music- it's the same four chords over and over and over. Charity was borrowing her. I'm trying really hard to say that word correctly. Uh-huh. Borrowing, not borrowing. You can say borrowing. Can I say borrow? Mm-hmm. She was borrowing her car. If you, if I can say borrow in Florida, you can say borrow. Absolutely. <laughs> so we meet Tracy Bope, who's Charity's aunt. Tracy Bope did her makeup for this interview. She she did she did it. Or her like drag queen friend did her makeup mm-hmm. and was like, "Girl, you're gonna look good. You look good, girl." <laughs> Angel was there. <laughs> she looked good. She looked good. Turn around, girlfriend, and listen to that boy's song. Some of the, these people are just like, do you hear what you're saying? Tracy's like, she wouldn't hurt a fly. She's just running her mouth like usual, but she wouldn't hurt anybody. And I'm like, running her mouth like usual. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Touch up your makeup while you're on trial for killing your boyfriend's lover, I think, or killing your lover or something. Either way, it's all about the lover. <laughs> We yeah, got there in the yeah. end. Yeah, powder your nose. Right? <laughs> You're in prison. Powder. I hate. I hate them. She was one that's like, I'll tell you what a bad decision is. It's when your parents go out and leave the keys in the car and you back the car into the garage door. And, and, and my it's ears are just like, what, 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 what? Like nothing. It's like she's speaking Mandarin. Like I had no idea what she was talking it about. It is such a specific example that she must have done that herself 14 times. hundred percent. That's why she knows that. Right. But she loved. So I have in my notes more on-screen text with like eight O's. Uh, no callbacks, no nothing. She booked it. She skipped the callback, as a matter of fact. She booked it. Oh. Who does she think she is? Leslie Margarita? Right. Ellen Marsh? Get out of here. 